0: 32 once you have your place stand up or you could look at your bulletin it's in the bulletin it's also in the my custom church app and if that ain't enough for you you can see it on the screen doggone we're going to make sure you see the word somehow some way so let's read together then we'll go to the lord in prayer and then you can be seated, all right? So starting at verse 22, it says this, "'Therefore say to the house of Israel, "'Thus says the Lord God, "'It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, "'that I am about to act, "'but for the sake of my holy name, "'which you have profaned among the nations "'to which you came. "'And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, "'which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. "'And the nations will know that I am the Lord,' "'declares the Lord God, "'when through you I vindicate my holiness "'before their eyes.'" I will take from you the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and, now, and so you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let it that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for, uh, Lord, your presence here today that we've already felt. God, we pray today that it'll be about your word and not about the one who delivers. Uh, But, Father, it'll be all about you. May your greatness be made known, not only here today, but, Father, but among all the nations. And, Father, as so far as it depends on us, Lord, we want your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, we know that you've chosen us to be the vehicle of which to deliver the good news. And Lord, we want to be about your business and about your kingdom work. Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, Father, I pray today they see you for the great love that you have shown us. And Lord, today that they choose, uh, Lord, today for you to be their Lord as well. Lord, we love you. And we pray this, Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. It's important when we study God's Word to keep a couple things in mind. We need to understand that some things that when we read, especially in the Old Testament, we see some promises that were for Israel. Some of those promises that are for Israel are for all believers, but then some things are very specific to Israel itself. So when we read God's Word, we got to ask ourselves, who is God talking about, who is He talking to And we also got to realize there were some things that happened in the scripture that God meant for that moment. Uh, Doesn't mean that we're going to do the same exact thing, but there are theological principles that we can gain from the word in these cases. Uh, when we look at the Levitical law, right? We no longer uh, we no longer have to practice the uh, the laws concerning uh, the ceremonial laws concerning things like cleansing before we go in the temple and things like that. A lot of that has been completed, amen. And so we no longer need to offer sacrifices such as lambs at the temple and all that because Jesus Christ was once and for all, amen, offered a sacrifice for you and I. So it's important when we look at the Old Testament to look who it's being written to, who's doing the talking, and, and what, what is it that God would want to learn, uh, for us to learn uh, from that scripture. It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, literally it applies. There may be principles that we learn out of that that we apply to our lives and maybe not do that one thing specifically. Uh, I think about there's sometimes that God did some things very, very specific uh, in His Word uh, and among His people uh, that we learn from those theological principles, right? Uh, but you and I, like, take, for instance, I ran from the calling of God for quite a long time in my life. Uh, I, I wanted to be a professional musician, but realized I couldn't remember the words to anything, so that was going to hinder me. Secondly, I can't remember how the song goes. That was obviously going to hinder me. Right? Um, and, and so but I was running from the calling of ministry, and I figured as long as I was out playing gospel music uh, and speaking to people during the time that we were playing music, that that would be close enough to the ministry that I wouldn't have to actually, you know, go all the way through being really being a preacher. Uh, but God wouldn't let me rest. But I think about the story of Jonah, right? As Jonah was running from God. Uh, but listen, just because uh, Jonah ran and I ran doesn't mean I'm going to go out and get a boat and go out in the Atlantic and wait for God to prepare a big fish. You know what I'm saying? There are, now, though, the theological principles, we learn from the story of Jonah, but it doesn't mean that it's going to happen exactly like that, or I'm not going to go sit under a juniper tree uh, and wait for God to teach me that way. And so today we want to look at the just, At the scripture, at the text, and learn what what is being said, and how does it apply to us? What principles can we gain from knowledge of this passage of scripture, uh, and how does it apply? I want to give you a little bit of background, Uh, and I found as I was reading, there are a lot of great resources. Uh, that we can use to help us understand God's Word Uh, but one of my favorite Bible teachers has actually been dead for I don't know at least I think 30 years 20 some 30 years his name was J. Vernon McGee now if you've ever heard J. Vernon McGee on the radio you would think that he is straight out of the Mississippi Delta the way he talks well good morning friends today we're gonna turn in our Bibles right and you listen to him, and he just sounds like this old Southern dude, right? And turns out he was a Presbyterian pastor in Los Angeles, of all places. And when I found out where he had been preaching, I'm like, it just didn't match his voice. But when it comes to, to, to preaching and teaching, J. Vernon McGee was, was just hands down one of, of the best. Um, and this is what he wrote about the book. Uh, of Ezekiel and about Ezekiel. And I thought it it's, would help us to frame in our mind today uh, the, the context in which the scripture uh, was written. It says, Ezekiel was a priest but never served in that office. As he was still a young man when he was taken captive during the reign of Jehoiachin, Daniel was taken captive in the first captivity during Jehoiakim's reign. So Ezekiel was taken captive a few years after Daniel. Um, Daniel was taken captive at the first captivity during Joachim's reign, about eight years before Ezekiel was taken captive. Ezekiel was, con- uh, was contemporary with Jeremiah and Daniel. Jeremiah was an old man who spoke to the remnant that remained in the land. Daniel spoke to the, in the court of the king of Babylon, and Ezekiel spoke to the captives who had been brought to the rivers of Babylon. While the other captives wept, When they remembered Zion, Ezekiel exalted in the greatest visions ever given to any prophet. The meaning of Ezekiel is seen in the coming glory during the kingdom. Ezekiel looked beyond the sufferings of Christ to the glory that should follow. Now think about that. As we look at this text today, we're going to see this picture of this prophecy that's given by the, by the prophet Ezekiel. And he's talking about what, how it's, what it's going to be like, if you will, once Christ gives his life a ransom for us, and then the Holy Spirit comes. And so we're, he's given them a glimpse into the greatness that is going to occur after the suffering of Christ. Now, what's unique about Ezekiel, uh, I remember there was a musical, and I can't remember the name of the musical, but you remember the old song, them bones, them bones, them dry bones, them bones. Y'all remember that? The thigh bones connected to the hip bone, the hip bones connected to the whatever bone. I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you the rest of the song. right? That was actually comes from a passage of Ezekiel where he told Ezekiel to look out among these valley of dry bones. And he said they were dry, so dry. But then he had ezekiel prophesy over those bones and a rattling started to occur and god raised up those dead dry bones and so i i implore you to read the book of ezekiel today we're only going to look at a small portion now the purpose of the prophecies was really a foreshadowing the work of christ and Peter kind of reflected on this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12. through 12, It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that they have now announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So Peter kind of gives us a, a description of the work of the prophets, uh, how God used them to help us understand who Christ would be. And so today we, we want to keep that in our mindset, if you will, uh, in our frame of mind as we go forward in studying the scriptures and looking at this particular passage this morning. We're going to kind of use a, a more... Um, Uh, Expository type of manner this morning. I want us to go through this passage uh, and we're going to go in groups of verses. So I want to start this morning with verse 22 and 23. It says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. You see, there's some, some true encouragement just in those two verses alone. It may not look to, that, to the naked eye, but when I really start to look through the lens of who Christ is, and when I look at the lands of God's grace and how he has extended that grace and mercy to you and I, and when I read this passage, listen, I, I start to get goosebumps a little bit because I realize the beauty of God's magnificence. And here it kind of releases me, if you will, from thinking or, or putting upon my shoulders the need to first off vindicate God or to think that I need to be good enough to somehow deserve the mercies of God. Because I don't know about you, but I fall short, you. Amen. You don't lie, by the way. The Bible says you fall short, so uh, I take his word for it. But but we fall short. And so when we look at this, just this few verses in the beginning, it gives us great encouragement to those uh, in, in the context of which we read. They're in captivity. That's why I read the beginning of that book. Uh, in that opening from J. Vernon McGee, because we understand that, that Ezekiel was prophesying to them in captivity. They've been in captivity, uh, they still got a long ways to go. But could you imagine being uh, one of, the, uh, one of the, the remnant of Israel that's, that's in captivity, knowing that you got there because you deserved to be there because of your sin? Imagine how they felt about themselves at that point, knowing that they had been taken captive as a result of how they have profaned God. And it's easy for us to look down our noses and point our fingers and say, Israel, you shouldn't have done that. But how many times have you and I profaned God just by simply saying something that wasn't true or attaching ourselves to a passage of Scripture in the wrong context? It doesn't matter how you want to look at it. We have all profaned God in one way or another. I've heard people talk about, you know, they they talk about scriptures that really aren't there. Here's one of my favorite. Well, you know the Bible says God will never put any more on you than you can stand, which is absolute nonsense, hogwash. It is not in the Bible. But when they say things like that, and they're saying that God said it, is that not profaning God? It is. And when I look back and I think of some of the things I've said and done in my life, Uh, A sense of of guilt just washes all over me and and a sense of being undeserving washes over me as well. But when I look at this passage of scripture, I'm encouraged because God is saying, listen, I just want to make it very clear that you know today that I am not going to vindicate myself because of you and you have not earned it. Matter of fact, you have profaned me, but I'm going to restore you for my glory and not yours. Now listen, that's what he's saying to Israel, but does this apply to us? Listen, the theological principle that we grab out of this is that God absolutely loves us. And if we are ever thinking for a minute that we're ever going to deserve God's love, the answer is a big fat no and heck no. Never. Never am I ever going to be deserving of God's love. Never could I ever do enough. Matter of fact, when I truly look at myself, I see myself, sometimes I, I think that I'm growing spiritually, but then as I grow spiritually, you know what I see? I see more uh, of Huff that, is, that, that needs help. The stronger I grow in the Word, and I believe that's why Paul started off saying that I'm a sinner, but near the end of his life, he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Why? Because the more I see about God's glory, the more I see about His righteousness and His holiness, the more I see myself as not righteous and not holy. But there's great encouragement in this passage to let us know. It says, it says, Lord God, it's not for your sake. God's not saving you because you deserve it. God's not saving you because you've somehow done something to earn it. Instead, he says, you're absolutely despicable. You profane my name, but I am still going to deliver you and vindicate myself through your deliverance so that all nations may see. What a great encouragement. They were in captivity because of their sin. And I don't know about you, but anybody ever got grounded when you was a kid? Y'all remember getting grounded? I remember getting grounded and getting in trouble, and then I went to school the next day, and things were okay when I was in school, but when I got home and got to the door, I'm grounded. Instead of plopping down in front of that little old black and white TV we had when I was growing up, instead of Catching the afternoon cartoons. I had to go to my room. I was grounded. Couldn't watch TV. I'd go from my room to the kitchen to get something to drink and try to sneak a... Y'all remember that? And then mom would walk in. Come on. Every time I looked at her, I knew that I had done wrong and I just had that wash of guilt over me and, and I would sit in my room and, and just thinking that my mom was mad at me and my dad was unhappy with me and, and just had this awful feeling. And I remember one time my dad opened the door and said, son, it really kind of stinks to be grounded, doesn't it? And I said, yes, sir. He said, but you know I love you, right? I said, I hope. He said, son, you never have to hope that I love you. I love you. There's nothing you could do that would ever make me love you any less. He said, honestly, there's nothing you could ever do to make me love you anymore. My love for you is fixed. And it will always be there. So don't ever, don't ever for a minute think that even when you're grown that you can't come home. And dad won't love you. I remember I started crying. I was a sensitive little kid. Remember I started crying? And my mother come in and said, what's wrong? And my dad says, well, he thought maybe we didn't love him because we grounded him. She said, son, I ground you because I do love you. I do care about you. And sometimes it's nice to be reminded, isn't it? And can you imagine them, listen, when they it wasn't like they was grounded for a week of no black and white TV. By the way, if we grounded our kids for no black and white TV today, they'd be like, okay, whatever. (laughs) Didn't want to watch that anyway. If you ain't got 4K, I ain't going to stay, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like they were grounded for a week. They had been literally stripped from their homes. Some of them died in battle. They've lost loved ones. They've lost, their, they've lost stuff. And they know that their time in captivity is fixed at 70 years. And they've still got a long way to go. When you're grounded for a week, Tuesday seems, right, like, oh, I've already been grounded. It feels like I've been grounded for a year, and I've still got how many more years to go? I'm only grounded for a week. You're sitting there Tuesday thinking Friday will never get here. And for God to say this, it's not for your sake. So don't think for a minute that me, at the end of this 70 years, taking you back home, don't think for a minute that it relies on you. But I do, I do want you to see what happened. But I want you to know that I love you. That I'm going to make my name great and I'm still going to use you. Well, that's another thing, isn't it? do not sometimes we feel like we screwed up to past the point that God could use us? He's letting them know, you didn't screw up so bad, I going to use you. Matter of fact, I'm going to use you in, in a great way because all nations are going to see my greatness through you. He let them know that they hadn't sinned past their usefulness, that God was still going to use them for the kingdom work. And I want you to know today that you haven't screwed up past your usefulness either. Neither have I. We all sit here today with egg on our face and God absolutely loves us. And he's going to make his self known and he's going to make great his name through you and I, even through our brokenness. He's going to use us in great ways. Romans 3, 23, you all know that verse, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But listen, today, maybe you're the opposite of what I just spoke about. You see, sometimes we get prideful. Sometimes I feel beaten down because I know I know what I've done. I know who I am. But there are times sometimes in our life where we get prideful. Hmm. Y'all may not deserve God's love, but you ain't. <laughs> you ain't seen me. I got it going on. My wife and I got it into this show, and I'm almost embarrassed to say because I don't know if you've got to hand in your man card to watch it, but Downton Abbey. Anybody ever heard of that show? It's so embarrassing. I don't even want to say it. Like, it's so... Sal makes me watch as she holds my eyes open. You're gonna watch us. Okay. She scares me. But on Downton Abbey, there's this grandmother, granny, they call her, grandmama, right? And granny is real prim and proper. And at one time she had made a mistake and, and this, this other woman who wasn't as proper says, well, you know, how do you feel about being wrong? She goes, I wouldn't know. I'm not familiar with that sensation. I was like, I went to church with her when I was a kid. Because we've all known some grannies in our life, right? That just look down their nose at you. Listen, this is also, this is also a, a big word for those who get prideful. For those of us who are sorrowing in our sin, it's, it's great news this morning. But for those of us who may be a little haughty and a little proud this morning, it's also good for us to remind ourselves that it ain't you. It's never about your glory. It's about His. This is what Solomon wrote about pride. He said, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But let's move forward this morning. Let's go to verses 24 and 25. It says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall become clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Now, there are some key phrases in this this part. He says, I will take you from the nations. Then he says that he's going to bring them into their own land. He's going to clean them, uh, sprinkle them with water, and clean them from all of their idols to be cleansed. Now I want you to think about it, it says when he's going to, to bring them in, realize that they have been scattered. But he says he's going to bring them back. And I think about it, the day of Pentecost when they had all gathered there in Jerusalem. You remember that day? When the Spirit came in like a mighty Russian wind. And they all were, were hearing in their own languages Peter and him spoke. And, and some people thought, man, these people had gone absolutely crazy. They didn't got in too much wine. But they were listening and they were astonished because they knew that what was being said was not in their native tongue, but yet they were understanding it and hearing it in theirs. The true use for tongues, this tongue was a sign. By the way, in our day and age, I don't believe we should really seek those kind of signs because we know that we have the written word of God. And God says that signs are for the unbeliever, not the believer. We need to have faith and trust that when God says he loves you and he'll take care of you, don't be looking for a sign. Just look through the Word of God, and he's proven himself time and time again, and he is faithful. God expects us as believers to not have to seek a sign, but instead we should be with faith believing. Pray to him and give it to him and trust that he will take care of us. But in Ephesians chapter 5, this is a familiar passage of Scripture that you all know very well. But it says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself Up for her that he may what? Sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Remember, this water, the baptism is symbolic. And we know that, that, that in the Jewish practice, there was these cleansing uh, basins, if you will, that they would wash before they would actually go in to the temple. And it was ceremonial. And we no longer have to do that. We don't have a wash basin out here that you've got to wash in before you can come in uh, to the sanctuary. But it was very visual. And so God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, giving us something very visual. But in here now in the New Testament, we see that by the washing of water with the word. How is God going to cleanse us with his word? He says, so that he might present to the the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. You see, we are the bride of Christ. Now, we also take the the theological principles of what a husband and wife should look like in their love, and we see that in Ephesians chapter 5, but he's also correlating to that, and so we would understand it better, that we are the bride of Christ. And that we need to be, will be presented before Him, completely washed with His Word. Now we know that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, right? That we are absolutely saved upon, uh, upon accepting Christ, uh, upon repentance, I should say, uh, which through accepting Christ and repentance, uh, that we are completely saved at that point. And when we are saved, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And I didn't want to get too deep uh, into Holy Spirit because I'm going to do a series uh, here before long, just uh, about the roles, uh, the distinct roles of the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to get uh, into that, but we're going to under, we're going to touch on it just a little bit. But understand that we are the bride of Christ, and we see that that how God uh, cleanses us. Now, we when we are saved, we are absolutely saved. There is salvation, but then there's also sanctification, and we believe in a progressive sanctification. What does that mean? Is that God continually cleanses us and makes us look more and more like him as we walk this path amen that listen when I am saved I am absolutely saved but I do know that God has cleansed me with his blood but also his word will continually cleanse my life and make me more like him amen and when we see his word he gives us commandments uh, that will help us understand his righteous nature and in that righteous nature, as we grow in Him with the washing of the Word, His Word compels my heart to love Him and to follow Him. And so we see here this, this cleansing that occurs not only upon salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but also in the progressive sanctification that as we grow in Him, we will look more like Him every day. Do you realize that old people, husband and wife, they say after years and years you start to look alike? Sal is, like, hating the thought of that. I'm going to look more like you. (laughs) Would you ever notice old people do look alike? Why? Because as they grow together, when I met Sal, Sal liked weird food. I liked beans, bread, potatoes, and meat, whatever you could kill. I wouldn't, didn't really know what some of it was. Matter of fact, I'd just soon not know. By the way, they say that you can't eat raccoon, but it uh, turns out I did. And it wasn't too bad. A little gamey, a little, eh, little tough, but it is what it is. You do what you got to do, amen? But see, so when I met Sal, Sal had all these weird foods and stuff, and, and she'd like, do you like Broccoli? bleh broccoli how gross she goes let's go to chinese let's have chinese i'm not eating chinese i value my pets (laughs) she didn't find that so funny then it's still probably not funny now right but that's my mindset So she goes, have you ever had Chinese? I said, they had chicken chow mein one time at Blue Ridge Elementary School, and I tried one taste of it and didn't like it, and they never had it again because everybody complained because, listen, where I grew up on the mountain, we just didn't eat that kind of stuff. She said, well, you've never had good Chinese food. You don't know if you like it or not. All right. So she took me to this China King, a little restaurant down in Herndon, Virginia wow, it was good, and I liked it. I was like, what else you got? What other bag of tricks you got? What else are we trying? She would would open me up to new foods and new things and new cultures, and I started to find out I liked it, you know, and, and cook different ways. She didn't cook like Mom. At first, I was upset about that. But as my palate changed and as we tried new things together, now... You know, It would be surprising that her and I actually eat a lot of the same foods and, or a lot alike. It turns out there was things that I never tried before, but she got me to try. But there's things that she had tried before that I got her to try as well. And we learned. Now I'm open to new things. Shoot, Sherry one time says, after church, y'all want to go with us and get sushi? I don't know. There's a limit to my madness. Y'all know what I'm saying? I lace like it cooked. Now, it could still be mooing, but you have had at least at least warm it up a little. Y'all know what I mean? And so she said, well, they got stuff that's fried. Sal said, oh, come on, you'll like it. Okay. So we went and tried sushi, and it wasn't so bad. But it's amazing how over the years we've become more alike. Now, we still don't look alike. We are a lot more alike today than we were 20-some years ago when we started. Do you see how progressive sanctification works? I need to be more Christ-like today than I was yesterday. As I learn more about His nature and I learn more about the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and about the strength that He will give me when I need it, the more The more I love him and the more I follow him and the more I look like him. Let's go to verse 26. It says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, one of the true signs of a believer is the fact that we get a new heart. When we think about people who are somebody who's done something wrong, when you are somebody who sees someone in need and they just walk on by like they didn't, like it not even there, we, we say that they're, they're cold-hearted or hard-hearted. And listen, the, 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 that, that is a word that cannot be found in the vocabulary of a Christ follower as being hard-hearted or being cold-hearted. Because it says here that, that he will give us a new heart, and we see that as Scripture also in the New Testament as well. We see that culmination of that, or, 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 that, or, or the manifestation, I guess I should say, uh, of this passage of Scripture, and we see that happen uh, in the, the church that is formed in the New Testament. But this new heart is a sign of a true believer. In Romans chapter 2, verse 5, it says, But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Think about what he's saying there. Because of your hard heart, the wrath will come upon you. So for those who know Christ, those who have been, have been washed with his blood and now being washed and cleansing with his word, hard heart should not be in our vocabulary and it should not be in our DNA whatsoever. We see David cry out in the Psalms, in Psalms 51, uh, verse 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, verse 8 of Matthew, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Continue in that chapter, or in that book, in chapter 6, verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And I like this. We see in the early church, we see now this manifestation of this promise of God that he would put within them a new heart, a one of flesh, instead of the one of stone that they had had. And we see now that come to pass in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that of any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Could you see this soft, supple heart that is in the new believer? because they said they didn't call anything they had their own in other words they said you know what whatever I have I give to you whatever it is that you need if I got it you could have it remember how many people had kind of came into Jerusalem for this uh, feast of Pentecost if you will and there the day the Holy Spirit come down listen God was saving souls and there was a revival there and they didn't want it to end so a lot of people stayed within the city and they didn't have the means but people who lived there were saying come stay at my place Come, I will feed you. And we see this beautiful picture of they were all of one heart. And God says that he will put a new heart within us as well. What he's promising to Israel we see come to pass in the New Testament. Verses 27 through 28 as we continue in this passage from Ezekiel. In verse 27 it says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I shall be your God. He says, I will put my spirit within you. The Holy Spirit indwells us upon the first moment of receiving salvation. This is what Titus 3 uh, says in verses 3 through 5. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You remember over in John chapter 14, when Jesus was uh, in the upper room with his, uh, with his disciples, and he started off uh, by saying, listen, uh, don't be troubled, but if you leave God, believe also in me, that in my Father's house... Or many mansions were not so would have told you so he said but I go to prepare a place that where you me I may be also and later on he said that I'm gonna have to go away, but a comforter shall come And that comforter was the holy spirit And why did he call him the comforter? Well, you go back to the original word as parakletos in the Greek a parakletos means from the same source And so what Jesus is saying is listen, I'm gonna go away But a spirit is gonna come from the same source me and the father and the holy spirit. We are one And so it's going to be from the same source. So as Jesus walked along with his disciples and talked to his disciples and taught his disciples, and even at times uh, would actually, you know, kind of pierce their heart, if you will, uh, and call them out on their selfishness, Jesus would do that. Remember James and John, I believe it was, or I I think it was James and John, you know, somebody was going against him, you want us to call fire down out of heaven? I mean, sometimes they were were selfish. Peter was prideful. Jesus told him, you know, one day you're going to deny me. (laughs) These other guys, these other guys are weak, Jesus. But I ain't going to do that. And then we know, of course, that didn't last very long. Within a day and a half, Peter was doing exactly what he said he wouldn't do. So could could you imagine these disciples thinking as Jesus had walked with them for three years and he had taught them? And even, even sometimes with a convicting spirit to help them see themselves for who they were so that they may see themselves and, and, and grow in him. Telling them the truth, even when it was a tough thing to say, Jesus would do that. So you imagine how confident the disciples had come because Jesus was walking with them. And they knew that as long as they walked with Jesus, they would not be led astray. They knew that as long as they walked with Jesus, they was going to be taken care of because Jesus wouldn't let any bad thing happen to them. Jesus would not lead them into a place that wasn't good for them because Jesus was the Son of God. And now Jesus says, I'm going to go away. But Jesus has comforted him, saying, listen, the comforter is going to come. The Holy Spirit, the Paracletos, from the same source, he's saying that I'm going to go away, but the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to walk with you just as I walk with you. Those times where I corrected you, the Holy Spirit's going to do that. It's going to correct you. Because notice what Ezekiel said here. He says, and calls you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what this spirit is. I'm going to put a new spirit in you and it's going to cause you to follow me. You know what he's saying is the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer upon repentance. That Holy Spirit will will cause us to do the right thing. Why? Because we're not going to be able to rest if we're not doing the right thing. Y'all know what I mean by that? We can trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us and lead us in ways of righteousness and, and, and steer us into things that are good. And the Holy Spirit is not going to let us go against him and feel okay with it. The Holy Spirit's going to guide us. It's going to protect us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul wrote to that church, says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? He wrote to the Roman church in chapter 8, verse 15 and 16, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we may cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God when you feel that Holy Spirit rise up within you and tell you that something is wrong. Listen, that's the same as if Jesus was walking with his disciples and seeing what they were doing and said, hey, guys, that ain't right. So Jesus told his disciples, I'm going away, but the Spirit's going to come. He's going to do the same work I did. He's going to lead you. Ezekiel prophesied hundreds of years before that, telling them the same thing. God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. Why? Because we can't be in harmony with the spirit when we're not walking in his ways. We will be in absolute torment. Things won't be right and we'll know it. John chapter 16, verse 7 through 8 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Let's continue on to verse 28 in Ezekiel. It's 28 through 30, it says, And you shall dwell on the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all uncleanliness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you, and I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Now, when I saw this fruit thing, you know I thought about Brother Kevin, right? Brother Kevin told me the other night, he said, oh boy, next time I preach, I got something for you. Oh, he's he trying to one-up me. I'm going to get him one time. One of these days, I'm going to roll in here and I'm going to preach in a tuxedo. he like beat that. And I'm going to give away $100 bills. They'll be fake, but I'm going to give $100 bills. It'll be monopoly money. But uh, I'll make you look. (laughs) Made you look. Half of y'all was asleep. Wait a second, who's giving what? Is that today? But think about what he's saying here. All along, see, see, Ezekiel is describing, he's describing the the church. He's describing the work that's going to be done. As God says that, I will vindicate myself through you. He's saying, I'm going to vindicate myself through the church. I will show my greatness, and I, for my sake and my glory, I will be known among the nations. And here we are 2,000 years ago. There may be a lot of people out here that say that God isn't real, but they cannot dispute the fact that Jesus Christ walked this earth. Not only that, they can't dispute the fact that he was executed on the cross, and they can't dispute the fact that he was seen again alive. Amen, because there's a lot of things outside the Bible historians outside of the scriptures that say that very thing. And here we are 2,000 years ago after Christ walked the earth and we're still talking about him and we're still worshiping him. You tell me that God is not making himself great among the nations, still yet doing his marvelous work, amen, today as he did back then. And so he's saying, listen, he promises that he's going to claim us as his own. Think about that. God is promising them. Now, here they are in captivity. Remember that. In captivity, he says, I'm going to gather you back. I'll bring you back together. Again, think Acts chapter 2, when, when they all came together out of different lands. You see, we're talking generations have passed. And still yet, and they're all. some of them have grown up in these foreign lands, and that's the only language they know, but they come together on the day of Pentecost. And listen, the Holy Spirit comes down and everything that was told comes true. All the greatness that will happen after Christ's suffering is now being laid out and is continuing its work today. But God says, I'll bring you back in the land and you think that I'm embarrassed of you, but I want you to know that I'm going to take you back not because you deserve it, not because you've done anything, but for my great name, I'm going to gather you back. And now we've been adopted into that family. You and I, we're Gentiles, but we've been adopted into this family of God. And he's saying, listen, I will be your God. You ever had a friend that was your friend when other people weren't around? Y'all know what I'm saying? That when everybody else was around, man, Huff, you're the coolest guy in the world. Then other people show up and they'd be like, all of a sudden they'd be like, where where'd he go? Hanging over here with the cool kids. You call their name out. Hey, you want to come over and hang out with me? Then he's like, I don't know who that guy is. All the rest of the cool people. Who's that nerd? I don't even know his name. But when all the cool kids were gone, they would be right over here hanging with me. I wasn't one of the cool kids. But i tell you what I did do in high school. I was pretty decent at working on cars, so I was the cool kid when it came to somebody's car breaking down. Stuff like that. But when we were in the big crowds with all the other cool kids, acting like they didn't know me, I remember one time my mom coming to school because she was mad about something, something happened. My mom came to school, and she she had a like a house coat on. Yeah. My mom didn't even take time to put on her street clothes. If y'all know what I'm saying, she rolled up in that mug, like hair awry. I mean, like somebody we know. And my mom come walking in there, and she come walking up to that school, and there she was. And they're like, Huff, ain't that your mom? I ain't never seen that lady. Uh, I don't know who she is. No, Huff, I believe that's your mom. I doesn't look like her. <laughs> People are like, look at that hair. She must have, does she own a comb? Why is that woman dressed like that? What is going on? See, my sister, something had happened and my mother got called to school and she rolled up in there like she was going to own the place. Y'all know what I'm saying? Because that's what redneck women do. Uh, Moms specifically, you know. Uh, They had awoken the great bear, if you know what I mean. And mama bear had come out full force. And they're like, Huff, I'm pretty sure. And all the kids were laughing because the way she was dressed and her hair is crazy. And, and I don't know what it must be like to work at a bank and have hair like that and every day people get to see it. It was a rare occurrence for my mom, but I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I just remember being embarrassed and you know, people trying to say, and they were laughing. And that's your mom. You know, I ain't seen that lady before. I don't know who you're talking about. He said, I don't know if you've ever been through something like that. Maybe you were one of the cool kids and you never had to struggle with that. I was not. Matter of fact, when I got to high school, I played football for a little while, got hurt. Then I started playing music, the only time I was cool was when I had a guitar in my hand or playing piano or something like that. All the other times I wasn't really good for much. And if you are not careful, by the way, you'll hide behind those things. And I believe that's why God called me to preach because I couldn't hide behind something. But if you've ever felt that feeling of like you didn't belong or you wasn't cool. Then you know how important this passage is. Knowing that they had been taken in captivity because of what they had done. But God says, I will be your God. Not only that, he's letting them know they will know that I am your God. For anybody that's ever been embarrassed, for anybody that's ever been one of those people that other people acted like they didn't know, for somebody like me, and maybe you're like me, for somebody like that, this says something something to me that is so deep that God would say, regardless of what you've done, Huff, I am your God. I will be your God. Not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but for my great name, but the fact that God would claim me as his own, God will claim you as your own, as his own. To know that God will do that for me, even though it must be embarrassing to have a son like me, because I, always don't, I don't always do what God wants me to do, and I don't always live right. But to know that in spite of that, he still says, Huff, I will be your God. I'll never be in a group of people and act like you don't belong to me. I'll be like, God, whos that goofy guy over there? That's my son." We call him Huff. I remember running to my dad's house. I was running from running from a law. I got to my dad's house, and he said, son, what are you doing? I said, well, I just come over to say hey. He says, I know what's going on. I know they're looking for you. I said, yeah. He says, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. He says, well, if you're going to continue running, might as well just get back in your car and keep on. because I'm not hiding you he said but if you want to turn yourself in I'll take you take you myself I said what to make sure I go in he said "Nope. I'm not gonna drop you off at the door I'll go all the way with you I was 18 years old and I was scared to death I thought I was tough, fought my way through school, but I'm going to tell you that day I scared. I was scared about what my future looked like. I was scared if I had a future. But my dad says, if you'll do what's right, I'll be with you. And you know, my dad not one time ever acted like I wasn't his because that day he drove me to Charlestown. And I got out of the car and he says, wait up, where are you going? I said, I'm going on in. He says, not yet. Let me, let me get my stuff. He grabbed his wallet out of the glove compartment. Back then you actually had to lock the doors. Y'all remember that? Lock the doors of the car. He says, you ain't going nowhere without me. And that day, my dad walked me in. And we went in and asked me what my name was. And I told him, the judge says, well, they're out looking for you. I said, well, here I am. And he looked at my dad and says, who are you, sir? He said, I'm his dad. He said, and I'm here to stand with him. He's going to do the right thing. And so here we are. And that judge says, boy, I don't see this very often. And he let me go that day under my dad's care. My dad promised that he'd bring me back to court when it was time. But you see, that day I saw what this looked like, just a glimpse. And it speaks to my heart volumes to know that God has never disowned me. Lord knows I've done enough for Him to disown me, but He never will disown me and He won't disown you. Sometimes we get weak in our faith. Sometimes we feel strong, but then we get in the midst of it and we just feel weak like we're ready to collapse. And we're thinking, I know God probably just thinks I'm a failure. No, he doesn't. God's telling you today, I'm still your God. I am your Heavenly Father. And don't you think for a minute you've ever been too weak for me. Don't ever think for a minute that you've out my love. Because here I stand. And I stand as your Father. He told him he was going to take care of him. And God will take care of you. Sometimes we, we, we lose heart. or Sometimes our faith starts to dwindle because what we look at ourselves and we know that when our faith is weak, we feel, you know, we feel like we've let God down. And then we feel that if we let God down, then maybe God's not going to do the things he promised me. Maybe God's not going to take care of me because Lord knows I've let him down enough. So maybe I've let him down to the point that he's not going to make sure I have food. Listen, that ain't, that's not God. Do you understand today that that's not your heavenly father? Your heavenly father's not going to turn his back on you because you ain't perfect. He knew you wasn't perfect, and that's why he sent his son to die for you. He's telling his people here, you may be in captivity, but know this, I am your God. I am still your heavenly father, and I'm still going to take care of you. Yes, you deserve this punishment. Yes, you caused yourself to be here, but I have not turned my back, and I have not disowned you. This is what David said, and if David knew what it was like to be a sinner we know that he said this i have been young and now i'm old yet not have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread <clears throat> david's saying listen i've been old and i've been young you know what he's saying i've been through it there's been times i'm sure that i put a smile on god's face I'm sure that when David was young and he stood up to old Goliath when all the men were weak in heart, David says, listen, I come in the name of the Lord. When all the other people had, had, had been let, just didn't believe in God's strength, when all those other soldiers were there looking at Goliath, and Goliath was taunting God's men, and all the men had just folded little old David, so listen, all he'd been doing is, is, is watching sheep, but he know that God had prepared him for this day, And he went and he got five smooth stones, and he went down to Goliath with that slinger stone. But he said, "Listen, I don't come with you with sticks and stones and swords, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, and there he let that rock go. And hit Goliath right in the head and knocked him down. And he took his sword and separated Goliath's head from his shoulders. David had done some stuff. That was the same David that looked down and saw Bathsheba. And did the wrong thing. David says, I've been old and I've been young. He could say it like this. I've seen some stuff. There's times I've been really pleasing to God. And there's times that I've absolutely let him down in the biggest way, on the biggest stage. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And I've never seen his children begging for bread. Let me tell you, I've, I've been up and I've been down. But God's always taken care of me. But then he says this, in verse 31 and 32, as we get ready to close, he says, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that, that were not good. And you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. You know what he's saying? As I move in your life, you're going to come to the realization of who you are. And your sin's going to come before you and you're going to know it. But Jesus said this, he said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. That had nothing to do with losing a family member to death. When he says, blessed are those who mourn, he's telling them, he says, you're going to come to a place where you're going to loathe yourself. You know what that means? You're going to look in the mirror and not stand who you see. But he said this, it is not for your sake that I will act. When you look in a mirror and you loathe yourself because you know that you've been wrong, just remember, I'm not doing this because you deserve it. Sometimes we do need to mourn our sin. Sometimes we do. But know this, that we'll be comforted because God's not acting. God's not, uh, God's not taking care of me because I deserve it. He's taking care of me because he is great. And he's doing it so every nation shall see. God is loving me and guiding me for his glory. So I really can't mess that up. Because I'll I'll never be in a place where God doesn't love me. I'll never be in a place where God won't show me mercy. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, it says, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of his promise, having no hope and without God in this world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who have made us both one and broken us down in his flesh and dividing wall. Of hostility. We were once alienated from him. Now, understand this. This scripture was written to Israel by the prophet Ezekiel. But we see it come to fruition. We see it manifested in the New Testament. And it's still occurring. Because we have been grafted into the body of Christ. We were not born Jews, but we were grafted in, and so therefore. This beauty of God saying that I'll be your God, that applies to us. But understand this, this whole passage is talking about those who are believers. You see, the unbeliever can't claim to be gods because they're not. The Bible's very clear. A lot of people say they pray, but if they are not covered by the blood of Christ, all it is is wishful thinking, because he hears the prayers of his children and his children alone. This passage applies for those who call him Lord. Now, he loves all humankind. We are his creation. The Bible says he is long-suffering, not willing for any to perish. But I want you to know today this beauty that we've talked about, this character of God that is so magnificent and beautiful. If you don't know him today personally, then you don't know his magnificence, and he's inviting you today to himself. Through the work of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, he draws you. The Bible says that we can only come when we are drawn. And so if the Holy Spirit's drawing you, then I would ask you today to listen to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. But maybe you're here today, and you know Christ, and you see the beauty for this passage of scripture, you see how beautiful it is that God would call you his own. And maybe you're here today and maybe you've been feeling like, you know what, like, I'm just, I'm just so unworthy, I don't know why he loves me. You see, that's what the devil wants you to think. Part of it's true, yes, you are unworthy. But God's not loving you because you are. He's loving you because he's God. And he is great. And he's doing it for his sake not yours so you can let the devil beat you up and continue to beat you or you can mourn and allow yourself to be comforted say god here i am i'm so thankful that you're still willing to be dad to me that you're still willing to be my heavenly father that 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 you won't you won't turn your back on me and you won't be embarrassed of me but instead that you will love me and use me in spite of myself to make your name great. Maybe it's time today that you quit listening to the devil and you quit listening to the enemy trying to beat you down and say, you know what, I gave my heart to God, he is my Lord, and so therefore I know that he, I am his, he is mine, and from this day forward, I'm gonna live like a child of the king. Instead allow myself to be brought through the mud and think that I'm second class. Everybody else may be embarrassed of you. Nobody else may claim to know you when you're around a group of friends, but know this, God will walk right in the middle and make sure everybody knows that you belong to him. Those days of being cast aside and feeling second class should be over. Be done. Days today to realize that you can be in the court of the great high God because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Would you stand?